man who was on trial for murder managed to bribe a member of the jury to hold out for a lesser verdict of manslaughter. After debating for several days, the jury finally brought in the verdict, guilty of manslaughter. Sometime later, the murderer asked the man if it had been hard to influence the others, and he said, oh, you wouldn't believe how much trouble I had. All of them wanted to vote not guilty. Don your black robe and sit as a judge in a different courtroom. The defendant is Peter Cephas, the same Peter who was among Jesus' closest followers and the same Peter who later in Acts 10 had argued that the gospel of the Jewish Jesus included non-Jews or Gentiles as well. If Peter is the defendant, the plaintiff is Paul. Paul, the writer of this letter to the churches in Galatia. At one time, we see it in verse 7 of chapter 2 here, Peter and Paul had agreed that Paul had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. Now, Paul is accusing Peter of hypocrisy, because he used to eat with the Gentiles. That is, he used to move beyond the traditional laws of the dietary separation of the Jews and Gentiles. So he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when certain men came from James, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. So he was rebuilding a wall. And now both Peter and Paul had grown up believing that obedience to their laws, like circumcision, like the dietary restrictions, like keeping of the Sabbath, these kept them in a right relationship with God. So like perfect margins on a page, they were justified. They were in a right relationship with God because and only because of their own personal obedience. That's the law. The coming of Jesus Christ changed everything. Paul is proclaiming that the faith or the faithfulness of Jesus broke down the walls of division between the us and them, between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus opened up the kingdom to everyone, circumcised or not, kosher or not, Sabbath-keeping or not. And Paul here then is accusing Peter, the defendant, of rebuilding the walls of separation. And as he does so, he argues that Jesus has overcome the, the law and the walls were torn down and should not be rebuilt. In the early 2nd century, the Roman emperor Hadrian commanded the building of a wall to both define the northern border of the Roman Empire on the eastern British Isle and to secure that border from the pits wanting to descend from the north. The tall, thick wall was over 70 miles long, stretching from the North Sea to the Irish Sea. And it was effective for a long time. 
But after Roman control ended a few centuries later, locals began to rob the wall of its stones to use in their own buildings. And erosion began to smooth away the parts that were earthen. Robert Frost has a poem called Mending Wall. It begins like this. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. Today, in many places, Hadrian's Wall has completely disappeared. You can't tell there ever was a 12 or 15 foot high wall. In a more condensed period of time, the deconstruction of a divisive wall was Paul's goal. The walls dividing the early Christian community were metaphorical walls that sliced through relationships. And they dealt with questions that we continue to ask in various facets of our lives today. Who's in? Who's out? Who's us? Who's them? Who is wearing the current color of toenail polish? Who uses the current lingo? Who goes to the right restaurants or churches? Being up to date can justify us in the eyes of other humans. But only one thing can justify us in the eyes of God. A cigar smoker bought several hundred expensive cigars and had them insured against fire. After he'd smoked them all, he filed a claim, pointing out that the cigars had, in fact, been destroyed by fire. The insurance company refused to pay, and then the man sued. The judge ruled that because the insurance company had agreed to insure the cigars against fire, it was legally responsible. So the company had no choice but to pay the claim, and then when the man accepted the money, the company had him arrested for arson. We look in all kinds of directions for justification, don't we? Paul takes us from a wide-angle view of all these things that we're looking toward to try to justify ourselves, from the government, from litigation, from even the church or our families, and he zooms us in on Jesus Christ. Everything we do to try to save ourselves is worthless. We are justified. Our broken relationship with God is rectified through Jesus Christ alone. Keeping kosher no longer matters. God has justified us through the faith and obedience of Jesus Christ. And I might add that the Greek throws in this little word that can be translated either by or through. So we can interpret for ourselves, is it by the faith of Jesus, by our faith in Jesus Christ 
that we are saved? Or is it through the faith and obedience of Jesus Christ to his heavenly Father that we're saved? You can read all the volumes on that if you want to. But the idea is that through Christ, and only through Christ, we are justified. Pleasing important people will not save us. God has justified us through the faith and obedience of Jesus Christ. Our burden of guilt that we might feel for all the things that we don't do, not going to save us. God has justified us through the faith and obedience of Jesus Christ. Tom Allen, a pastor and former army ranger, tells the story about when he finally saw Saving Private Ryan. And he was really proud of the movie until just the last few minutes. So as the movie began, he felt proud watching the rangers take Omaha Beach. And then the story begins when they receive a mission to go deep into the enemy territory to save Private Ryan. They hit skirmish after skirmish. Some of them are killed along the way. They finally get to where Private Ryan is holed up, and they say, come with us. We are here to save you. And Private Ryan says, I'm not going. I have to stay here because there's a big battle coming up, and if I leave my men, they're all going to die. And the rangers say, we'll stay here and fight with you. And so they all stay and fight. It's gory and hard, and almost everyone dies except Private Ryan. And at the end, one of the main characters, Tom Hanks' character, is sitting on the ground. He's been shot. He's dying. The battle has been won. And Private Ryan leans over to him, and Tom Hanks whispers something to him. And the way uh, Tom Allen describes it, he says, everyone in the theater is crying because Tom's Hank, Tom Hanks was shot. And I'm crying because of what he said. It was so terrible. Private Ryan bent down and Tom Hanks said, earn this. And the reason that made Allen angry is he knows that no ranger, having been a ranger himself, no ranger would ever say, earn this. And that's because the ranger motto for the past 200 years has not been earn this. The ranger motto for the past 200 years has been sua sponte. I choose this. I volunteered for this. So when Private Ryan bent down, if Tom Hanks was really a ranger, he would have said sua sponte. I chose this. This is free. You don't pay anything for this. I give up my life for you. That's my job. So when we look at the cross and see Jesus hanging there, we do not hear him saying, earn this. We never hear Jesus say, earn this. He doesn't say, I've given everything for you. Now you need to gut it out for me. What he says is, sua sponte. I volunteered for this. 
You don't have to pay anything for it. Paul, too, volunteered to suffer for Christ, and he had many opportunities to do so. In this passage, he reports saying to Peter, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, or by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Our righteousness cannot be gained through the law or anything else we can do. Christ did not die for nothing. Christ died to emphasize God's way of salvation by grace. Think about the walls in your life. What walls have you built between you and another person? Or what walls have you built between you and God? Frost continues in his poem later, Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out. And we do tend to build up these walls and and divide between us and them. But Jesus has leveled the playing field completely. There is no more us and them. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. As the ultimate judge, God has pronounced us not guilty. And when we respond to God's disarming gift of justification, we do so not out of obligation to a law, but out of sincere gratitude for the faith and obedience of Jesus Christ. We hear often that it's better to give than to receive, but often it's harder to receive than it is to give. So today, let us simply receive the gift of Christ. May we pray. Open us, Holy Lord, to your love. Strengthen us to be faithful. Remind us that no adversity shall ever move us from your love. You are our only Savior. Amen.